Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Why don't you uh, grab your Bibles and open up to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. So last, uh, last um, week, we started a, a new teaching series on the Word of God. Uh, we're going through the Word to better understand the power of God's Word. And, uh, and I feel in the, in, in the midst of or amongst many things that I feel the Lord wants to do for this new year, I feel one of them that I just was really pressing on my heart was us being marked by the Word of God for 2021. And there's a lot of reasons and, uh, for that, and I feel we're going to keep chipping away at that. But last week, one of the things that we spoke about to lay a foundation is that the Word of God is unto meeting with the living Word. The written Word is, is to encounter the living Word. And when that happens, our hearts begin to burn. And one of the most beautiful examples of this is on the road to Emmaus, where Jesus purposefully allows the disciples' eyes to be closed closed and he decides to reveal himself through the written word and he describes how the through Moses through the prophets it's all concerning himself and at the end result is that when we engage this this word right here this written word to first and foremost meet with Jesus the end result is our hearts begin to burn a lot of the 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 I think the the issues that come with the word of God some of the misconceptions where it's old it's irrelevant it's boring some people have been beat up by it I mean, in, in, a, in a bad way. We talked about how the word does sting, it cuts, but that's unto healing. But some people, it's been manipulated, twisted, and they've actually stayed away from it, and they've seen it a bunch of do's and don'ts, and that's because we've missed that it's, it's a means to an end, and the end is Jesus himself. And when we don't see that, it gets really weird and twisted. So last week, we were laying out uh, just some really, well, really one clear principle, that we read this word to meet with Jesus, and when that happens, we find life because we find the man of truth and and, uh, and our hearts begin to burn. So today what I want to do is I want to um, kind of continue on this conversation, the Word of God, but I want to speak on another reason why I feel like it's so important, and that is, I guess the big picture would be freedom, uh, which is that we know that truth brings freedom. And the word that I really heard is strongholds, and strongholds being broken. And um, I really, I want us to see how the Word of God sets free, how the truth of God sets free. And I we're going to kind of teach through some things and work through some really practical things, and I believe that it will be super helpful. So I think at the end of this, there's going to be some principles that we're going to learn that if we apply and we abide in the truth, we're going to walk in freedom, all right? So this is, this is I, I believe it's one of the marks, why God's marking us with the word is we need to be a people who walk in freedom because that testifies to the world of the power of Jesus. But sometimes we're just waiting for like this, like this moment to come where all of a sudden we're free, but what we're going to find is there's actually a pattern that we're called to walk in, right? The first thing I'll just share is this, and this is really important, and that is that when it comes to the Word of God, if you go back into Genesis, like chapter 2, God with Adam and Eve, God, God gives them a command. He, he, he releases his word and his voice to his children, and he basically says, eat of any tree you want, but not of this tree, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. There's a lot to that. But he says, look, you have a choice. You can listen to my voice and my word and you can follow that or you can go another route. Ultimately, we see there's actually going to be another voice that comes. It's the voice of the enemy. It's the voice of the accuser. And his job and what he wants is us to get anchored and begin to live our life in his voice. 
And what we find, though, is that God doesn't say the matter of you listening to his voice or another voice is just a matter of you having a bad day or a good day. He doesn't say it's just a matter of whether you're going to feel like you feel on or you feel off. He says this is what's going to happen. It's a matter of life and death. It's really, really powerful. He says, if you hear my word and you abide in it and you build your life according to my truth, you shall experience life. But if you build your life according to another voice and another false truth pattern, he says, you will actually experience death. I mean, this is most of our testimonies that we built our life prior to Christ on other voices, other things, and we reaped death from that. That's why this word has to come back to being like so part of our life because it's not just a good suggestion. It's not just a good idea. God says if you don't know this and don't apply it, the fruit of it is you'll actually begin to experience death. You can be born again Christian, but you're experiencing death in relationships, mentally, emotionally, and there's such life here. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, he says, man shall not live by bread alone. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. What he's saying is man lives by the words that come out of my mouth. We're, we live, we're energized, we're strengthened. Like we, we grow by the word of God. And the opposite is true. When we stop hearing his voice through the written word, we begin to get sick, weak, and our heart begins to die. It really does. Again, we could be his, but we... We don't experience the abundant life that he's come to bring. John 6, 63 says, my words are spirit and life. Jesus' words are life. Uh, John 10, 10, one of my favorite, says, uh, Jesus came to bring life and life abundantly, but the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, we love this scripture, right? We put it on shirts and, and uh, mugs and all different things, and we should. We should have this thing all over our house. But the question is, how does Jesus bring life, and how does the enemy, the thief, steal, kill, and destroy? Well, if you read it in its context, the first nine verses before that verse 10 in chapter 10, Jesus says the sheep know the shepherd's voice, and they won't go after another voice, which means Jesus brings life by his voice, by his word. The enemy also has a voice. We know it's mainly accusation, and he wants us to build our life according to that voice. And when we do, again, we experience death. It steals, kills, and destroys. First uh, John, Jesus' name is the word of life. <laughs> it's all about it. So not only is he life abundantly, but he's come to impart his life, and he does that primarily through his voice. So as we get in this word and we hear his voice, we receive life and we live according to that. And so without that, we start getting all jacked up and we get bound by unhealthy organizations thinking. Right? So I want you to just see John, John 8, 8. Uh, I mean, in John chapter 8, verse 36. I believe that, I know wholeheartedly, God desires that we would walk in freedom. He wants us to walk in freedom. He wants us to experience the abundant life. If you look through scriptures, freedom is such a major topic with Christianity. It's one of the ways we testify to the world that, that of the power of God is that we're set free from the bondage of sin. So 2 Corinthians 3, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Galatians 5.1, uh, Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So stand firm, meaning like walk in it. Don't return back to your bondage of slavery. There's all these things that talks about freedom. What would it look like for a man or woman to be truly set free? I was thinking about it. My mind was like really blown. Like we have an opportunity. I believe positionally we are free, but we know that we're not always living in that. And it's like what would that look like? I know biblically or theologically we, we would define it as we've been unshackled from the power of sin. 
But really, what would that look like if it played out in our lives? You talk about like identity issues being restored, all this stuff being really dealt with if a person was free. And look, John 8.36, one of the well-known uh, scriptures on this, on freedom, says basically who the sun sets free is free indeed. Okay, so who the sun sets free is free indeed. Now, I love this scripture. Again, it stirs my heart. Uh, I remember as a, you know, coming especially out of addiction, the idea of freedom was really uh, just powerful to me because I, I was living, I was experiencing like tangible bondage on my life. So when, you, when I read something like this, I loved it. But then what began to happen is I wasn't experiencing a lot of freedom in my life. Okay, I want you guys to hear this. Like I read these things, but I wasn't really walking in freedom. Now, I get that we're on a journey of being sanctified, and so there's always things where we're growing. It's not an immediate, like, it's all done. But there were things that I was habitually stuck in that I knew that I shouldn't be doing, and I'm like, I started getting frustrated, and I would read scriptures like this that say, who the sun sets free is free indeed, and then I'd find myself in deep bondage. And so I began to get frustrated. I began to actually redefine Christianity and say it must be just about saying the right things and really not experiencing it, or I began to say my real hope is after death, but if that's the case, then death is my savior and not Jesus. And I believe that Jesus is my savior. He's hope. He's freedom. And if I have him today, what is the disconnect? And then the Lord brought me back a few verses. And guys, like this is one of these keys. If you want to walk in freedom, we believe in the laying on of hands and all the power. But this is how you get consistent in freedom. Look what it says. John, John 8, 31 to 32. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, Listen, if, that's a conditional statement, meaning you don't have to do this. But if you don't, you won't experience what he's about to say. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So this, this was the key. I wanted freedom. I knew Jesus had done it, and I was positioned. I was free, but I wasn't living in it. And the Lord had to say, you're not abiding in my truth. Abiding in the truth, guys, this is, abide means to remain, to stay. This is about us cultivating a daily habit of being in the word of truth. This is really important. We're going to talk next week. I'm going to get really practical on meditating on the word and just like what that looks like. And we're going to give even like Bible plans and things like that will be really helpful because I think abiding is about ultimately meditating on the word and getting it from just something that we can cognitively agree with to something that really begins to touch our heart and transform us. That's what happens in abiding. And our culture, which is, you know, quote unquote, the microwave society, does not like this idea of having to remain and stay. It's like, I want it. I want to hear something. I agree with it. I move on. And then we wonder why we're not free. And what I find happen a lot is in my own life and others is, again, we come in on a Sunday and I listen, I believe in the power of corporate gatherings, right? We should have expectation that when we come, like, we're going to experience a unique grace because we're surrounded with other believers. But what happens is I come in on a Sunday, we hear worship that's rooted in truth. We hear a word that's rooted in truth. Someone prays over us in truth. We're sharing testimonies just in casual fellowship in truth. And what we're experiencing is the power of truth. We leave feeling like, man, I feel good. And then by Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're right back to where we were. We're calling our friends that I need deliverance. I don't know what's going on. And we believe in deliverance. But a lot of times, it's not that we need deliverance. What we need is just to learn how to abide in the word of God. And if we learn to just simply like get in this thing daily and, again, open up and say, Jesus, knowing that Jesus, the living word, is just waiting to be met. 
Like, it's not just for me to learn facts about him, but actually Jesus says, I, this is one of the primary ways I want to meet with you. And we come in and say, I'm ready to meet with the living word. We start getting set free by that truth. So look what he says. It's a threefold process. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So first abide. And then he says, and you will know the, you will know the truth. There's a difference between knowing about truth and then knowing the truth. Right? It's just kind of what we're saying. There's one thing to be able to state the facts about Jesus but then there's another thing when that truth really begins to touch you and transform you. This is the true knowledge of God. I would, I would give an example like uh, window shopping, right? Or my ladies ads doing some window shopping. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> but I do the same. <laughs> but listen, <laughs> there's, there's, one, there's one thing to walk down a street, look at all the nice clothes. You can know the cost. You can know what it's made of. You can know the brands. It's, it's a different thing to go into the store, buy it, own it, and then put it on you. There's one thing to look into these scriptures, know the facts about them. It's another thing to put that truth on you, that revelation on you. That begins to begin to change you on the inside. This is the abiding in the word, knowing the truth. And look at the last part. I love this. It says, and the truth will set you free. Not hopefully, not maybe, not God doesn't like you so much, he's doing it for that person only, or you lost your opportunity because you haven't been doing this, so it's over for you now. No, like today, if you abide in the truth, you will be set free. That's an incredible statement. Again, homework assignment. Go home and just get before the Lord and say, what would it look like for me to be free? And to know that I can walk in this by, by the truth. And so truth in Christianity is not, it's not about us gaining information to have all the right answers to like quick Christian questions. Truth is transformative. How do you know you're abiding in the truth, in the word, and you're knowing the truth? It's easy. You'll begin to see it in your life. That is the mark. That's how you know that someone is actually being set free. This is always the biblical pattern. I could go to so many other places, um, but one that, that was highlighted, Roman 10, 17, says faith. Think about this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So just reverse that, and you have the word of God, hearing, faith. It's the same thing as almost abiding, truth, freedom. You get the word, you hear it. Again, that's not just that Jesus talked about hearing. It's not just about to hear something. It's about engaging with your spirit. You're actually like living this thing. You're, you're, you're connecting with it. And if you do, you'll have faith. And faith is a lifestyle. So all that we're talking about is this is unto like a manifestation of freedom and faith when we start abiding in the truth. And I just, I wanna help you and myself that if there's areas where you feel frustrated in, honestly, a, a lot of it is, is about just getting in here, I think, and this thing getting like touching who we are, right? So turn with me to um, Jeremiah chapter one. Jeremiah chapter one, verse nine, and verse 10 I'm gonna look at. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. So we know that if we abide in the word, we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. So I want to I wanna like teach, I want to really help on this. How? How does truth set us free? Right? How does truth actually set us free? What is, what is taking place? And so I just want you guys to kind of catch this for a moment because this really, this helped me uh, big time. Life issues affect our soul. Biblically, this is what it talks about. Life issues affect our soul. Now, what is the soul? It's the mind, it's the will, and it's your emotions, okay? Now, I learned that early on in my walk. Some of you might be like, I I've heard that, I, I know that. 
But what really tripped me up when I was when I was a really young Christian is I didn't know how they functioned together. I didn't know how my mind, will, and emotions functioned together. So what happened was early on in my walk, I was really focused on my will. I was focused on my doing. I was trying so hard. Like I had genuine passion to do the things that God was calling me to do. And I would like wake up with zeal. I wanted to run after all that he had for me. And what I was finding was that I may do well for a while, but then I would start doing stuff I know I shouldn't be doing. And so my doing like was really jacked up. And because my doing was jacked up, my emotions started getting jacked up, my feeling. I started getting hit with condemnation, discouragement. I started feeling like guilt, condemnation, all all these things, right, shame. And so for a large part of my, my early walk, I was really messed up when it came to my doing and my feeling. And I was always trying to change those things. But when I got into the word, I began to realize how the soul functions, which is that if you have an issue with doing or if you have an issue with feeling, it's first and foremost an issue of thinking. Your thinking affects your feeling and your feeling affects your doing. So if you have a problem walking in what the Lord has called you to, or if you have a problem just like he's the joy of the Lord, but I'm always depressed, here's where you actually have to start. The Bible says it's an issue of our thinking. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Now, sometimes this scripture threw me off. I'm like, what is this? I'm like wishful thinking uh, thing. Is this a, it sounds almost new age. But what it's really saying is the power of the mind. What it's saying is as a man thinks in his heart, so what he really thinks. Forget about what he says outwardly, but what he actually thinks inside. He says, so he will be. In other words, that's what he'll walk in. Because your beliefs dictate your behavior. So if you really want to know what someone believes Just watch the lifestyle. We can say all these other things, but our lives will eventually testify to what we actually believe in our hearts. So if I have an issue with what I'm doing outwardly or what I'm feeling, the real issue is my thinking. Romans 12.2 says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. One of the greatest examples of this is in Hebrews 3. I was uh, was going back to Hebrews 3, uh, Paul, or the author of Hebrews, whoever you may, there's some debate about that, but... But the author of Hebrews, he's quoting a psalm from David, and David is writing about the Israelites in the wilderness. And what he's quoting is he says, Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, if you hear his voice, his word, do not harden your heart. So what he's saying is when you hear the word of the Lord, don't harden, don't resist, come into agreement with it, come into alignment with it. Why is this important? Because when I go through the Israelites and I see all the issues they had, they wandered, right? They were wandering. They constantly complained, right? They were constantly grumbling. I go through those things, and I think that's the issue. Those are just the symptoms. The, the real issue is not the grumbling and complaining. The real issue was not that they didn't know where to go and just wandering. The real issue was their thinking towards who God is. They didn't trust him as a provider. They didn't trust that he was good, and they were constantly questioning, did you bring us out here to die? It's probably better that we just go back. The grumbling and complaining and wandering was just a byproduct. So their emotions were off. Grumbling, complaining, discouraged, fear, the will. They couldn't walk into what God had, but it was deeper than that. The real issue was they needed to get their minds renewed to trust in the same God that set them free out of Egypt, was with them in the wilderness, and going to take them everywhere where he was leading them, right? Like, this is, this is a big part of my own personal story. Um, again, as an early Christian, I, I so struggled with uh, depression, hatred for myself, depression. Again, I, I, there was, I was always... Not always, but I found myself doing things I know I shouldn't be doing, and I didn't really fully understand, and I was just really, I feel like I couldn't get it right. I couldn't measure up, and I got, I was super, super depressed, and I was 
leading a men's home. <laughs> it was like really crazy. I'm like, man, wow, thankfully for God's grace on their lives because it was like hard to get out of bed at times. And, and that's what I was going through. And I, and I didn't understand because I loved Jesus. And, um, and so what started happening is I had to go, I, I actually went to start seeing doctors and I would go with my wife and, and basically like the end result was, listen, there's probably a chemical imbalance and the only way you're gonna be able to deal with this is you're gonna need meds to cope with. And not that there aren't really chemical imbalances, but the reality is, is what I found out is that it wasn't, because even if you take, my wife, we were talking about this, even if you take meds, right, and you fix the chemicals, the real issue is the thinking problem. So you can get your chemicals all worked out. In fact, she was telling me, which I think was an awesome point, is that a lot of times uh, from counseling, your thinking actually can affect your chemicals. <laughs> so it's even deeper than that, right? But the truth is I can get my chemicals worked out, but the reality is if my thinking wasn't worked out, I would have been right back there. I didn't have a chemical issue problem. That wasn't the real issue. The real issue, why I couldn't wake up out of bed, is I had a thinking issue. I felt like God was always displeased. I felt like his finger was always pointing at me, saying, like, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. And it was when I started to get in the word, because this book changes our thinking, when my mind started getting renewed, guess what? Depression started lifting, and I started getting excited about the will of God for my life. So I started walking in the will, my emotions. I started having the joy of the Lord, passion, and zeal. And the first thing that had to happen is my mind had to be renewed. So when we say that the truth sets us free, it's setting free our thinking. It tears down strongholds. Like if you want to give a title for whatever it's worth for this message is that truth tears down strongholds. This is how you get set free by the word of God, I think primarily, is that it, it, it confronts faulty thinking patterns, which it's the thinking that affects our living. So let's, let's just look at first uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. I just, I just want you to see there's this, and then another well-known is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says this, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. So God is touching Jeremiah's mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So he puts his words in his mouth. Look what he says, verse 10. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms. So he's becoming a voice over nations and kingdoms to do what? To pluck up and to break down. To destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. So Jeremiah, this becomes even clearer in 2 Corinthians 10 in a moment. But Jeremiah was given this call that he was essentially going to uproot all of these things. He's going to destroy. He's going to pull out things. And at the same time, he's then going to build, establish, and allow new things to come. And what would be his tool? What would be the, uh, the weapon that God gave him to do the uprooting and the planting is the word of God that, that he placed in Jeremiah's mouth. This is really important. It's the word of God that begins to uproot all of the faulty foundations and things that we've been living according to in our life. This is, this is what happens first. God destroys before he builds. It's really important. So look, I love, we're talking about the word of God. Just so that you're aware, the word of God is so beautiful. It's delightful. It's, man, there's, it's so sweet. It's delightful, but it's also confrontational. But that's in a beautiful way. We actually begin to delight in his confrontation because what it's doing is it's confronting faulty mindsets. It's half-truths, distortions. Well, I grew up with a broken father, so if that father's like that, then God the father's like that. And we start building all these things, and what first happens is the word comes, and it begins to destroy these things. If you're going to build a house, you don't build a house on an existing home. You have to tear down what's there first and then rebuild. 
It's the natural order. And God's word, when you begin to get in it, is, it's in a beautiful way, it's going to begin to sting and touch mindsets we have about God. He's always angry and mad when he looks at me. He's always disappointed when he looks at me. You start getting renewed by, by the truth of God's word. Starts breaking off all of these things. So turn with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, really quick. Just to kind of get a, a second piece to this. The word of God, it, it breaks down and then builds up. And these are strongholds, which you see really clearly in 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 6. For those of you watching online, I'm sorry we don't have all the scriptures for you to follow along, but hopefully you got your word. So Paul warns about the battle that's raging in our, the battle that rages over the knowledge of God. Okay, this is a well-known text, but there's a real battle that rages within all of us, and the primary arena of conflict is the mind. This is where there's, there's a real battle that's going on. So look what it says. Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. So we don't fight with carnal weapons, right? We're not fighting with guns and bats. That's not. Jesus, my kingdom's not of this world, right? It's probably important in this hour to realize that. When we have issues in life, we don't fight with, uh, with violence, right? We fight differently. Jesus, he could have, he said he could have called legions of angels when he was about to be taken. He said, but I don't fight that way. My kingdom operates a different way. And so we fight with, with spiritual weapons, but that's important. We do have weapons. There really is warfare, but it's not what you see with the natural eye. And we're going to see how powerful the word is to set us free by breaking strongholds and thinking patterns. So he says, but you don't have weapons of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So what is a stronghold? It's a military term of which basically an army would establish a fortified place, and from that place they attack. That's what a stronghold is. So what this is saying is what we're about to see is that the enemy sets up strongholds. The image is that he sets up strongholds in our mind. Things, unhealthy thought patterns, again, all those things, skewed perspectives of God, his nature, how he feels about you, right? Paul's saying don't let a thought exalt itself above the knowledge of God. So don't let something that is counter to who God is or how he sees you begin to have authority in your life. All authority in heaven and earth is Jesus. He gave it to you. How do we empower then? How does the devil have authority? The only authority he has, and if all authority is Jesus, is we delegate authority to him. Because Jesus has given us all authority in him. How do we delegate authority? We, we come into agreement with his lies. It's, it's so important. Thinking is what jacks us up. So there's these strongholds in our mind, and, and, and ultimately Paul says we're going to destroy. Look at verse 5. We're going to destroy these strongholds. What are they? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. These are the strongholds that we find, like the image, in our mind. And so it's not about us just like, coming against individual statements, we need to have a wrecking ball come in and blow up these strongholds. That's the word of God. Some of us, myself, we've got skyscrapers in our minds because we've got things established from a young age that are just so counter. It's been passed on to us. Some of it's been in good faith, but it's just, it's really skewed who the Lord is. And when you get in the word, the word is like this wrecking ball that comes and blows up all of these things. And all of a sudden your mind is like, oh my goodness, this is who God really is. And we start experiencing real, real freedom in him. So look at the last part of that. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Verse 6, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. I love that. 
Because what that means is that when strongholds are dealt with, the end result is obedience. Once again, the pattern is that when your mind starts getting renewed to the power of God, how do you know? You start walking in obedience. You start walking in faith. You start walking in freedom. These are all the results of a mind that's set on the Lord. Okay? So the word of God, we need to abide in the truth because the truth sets us free. How? It begins to affect our thinking first and foremost before it touches doing and feeling. And it does that by tearing down strongholds in order to rebuild us in who the Lord says we are and who he really is. So what I want to do in just these last few minutes is I want to share with you, um, I, I was going through the scripture, there's four different characteristics of the word of God. There's four ways, almost images of what the word is. Sword, fire, hammer, and water. And I want you to see how each of these images, characteristics of the word, reveal a different way of, of how the word actually breaks strongholds in our life and sets us free. All right, is that cool? All right, so just, just kind of follow along. The first one I'll spend the most time on, not that it'll be that long, and then the other ones I'll just hit quick and, and we'll just pray. We'll just pray that we experience the sword of the word, the fire of the word, the hammer of the word, the water of the word, and really walk in freedom, okay? So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, again, I'm going to spend the most time on this one. And the first characteristic of God's word to tear down strongholds in our mind is that the word of God is a sword. What that means, and then we'll get into this, the word is, is a sword. Is, it's transformative inside, first and foremost, but it's also one of the most powerful weapons in spiritual warfare. And we're going to see that because it's so crazy. I mean, I, I, it's a scripture we know, but it stirred me, and we'll get into it in a moment. So Hebrews 4.12, here's first how the word is transformative internally first. It says this, for the word of God is living and active, meaning it's, it's doing, it's working, it's powerful, right? Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the imagery I have here when I read this is the word of God is almost equated to a physician with a scalpel. And when a physician goes in to perform surgery, he needs a tool that is very precise that can cut through members of the body that are intricately connected like, like a, a tissue and bone. You're talking about, I mean, there is just the, the small, I mean, they are touching each other. You've got to be able to cut through. You need to be able to be accurate because if you're not, you can really mess someone up. The word of God is precise like that. It can begin to hit things that nothing else can touch, guys. The word of God can cut through and begin to divide and lay us bare in the most beautiful way where we can't even understand, why do I do what I do? I don't understand what's happening. The word of God can begin to touch that. So when we get in the word and we begin to open up the scriptures and we begin to meditate on the word, it's like we come on an operating table under God's scalpel. And we begin to see the clarity, God's clarity and discernment as it begins to be applied to us. His scalpel is like truth and light, and it begins to touch and begins to reveal even motivations. It begins to reveal to us where we've been operating in the flesh and not in the spirit. In the natural, guys, that's so hard to see. There's many times where I'm like, no, I'm, I'm doing this right. But I'm wondering why I'm so, like, restless and tired or I, I'm just, it's not being fruitful. And all of a sudden you get in the word, and God's word is like a scalpel that begins to reveal it's been in the flesh, not in the spirit. And it begins to bring me in a different direction or that I would bear fruit and life in that, right? And so the, the word is like a scalpel where it just begins to cut through darkness and sin and all this stuff and begins to just like move this stuff off from our heart. And it's a powerful, powerful way. 
So here's, here's the big thing, though, is Matthew 4. I want you to turn there. I know we're hitting a lot of scripture, but we're talking about the word, so we should, right? <laughs> Matthew 4. And this one I'm, I'm really excited about. The word of God is like a sword. It's one way it breaks strongholds. It starts to cut, and it's precise, reveals things that we can't even see that are there. But the word of God is also an extremely powerful weapon, perhaps the most we have when it comes to spiritual warfare. And part of strongholds and mindset is there's an aspect too where there's actual, there's real warfare that goes on, right? Ephesians 6, many of us know it, verse 17, the armor of God. We're called, we're actually commanded to put on the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the one offensive weapon that we actually have is the word of God, and it's equated to a sword, Okay, so we're looking at the word as a sword. And Matthew 4, I could just tell you about it, but Matthew 4, I never, again, it's just sometimes you read something, it's like, boom, it just hits you. It becomes one of the clearest pictures, I think, of how the word of God is like a sword in spiritual warfare. Really, really powerful. So what you have here is Jesus is being led by the Spirit into the wilderness, right? He's being led by the Spirit where he's going to be fasting for 40 days. Again, we've kind of shared this. He's frail. The humanity of Jesus is weak. Satan is an opportunist. He's coming when he's weak. He's hungry. This is when Satan's going to come, and there's going to be basically three temptations where Jesus is going to respond in a very certain way. The first thing I want to say is, why would God lead the Son by the Spirit to the wilderness? This is really important, because there's a lot of rich theological connection. He's the true Son. Israel wandered for 40 years. There's, there's all of those things, but on a personal level, I just want you to know there are times when God, by the Spirit, will allow you to go through what we would call a wilderness-like season. And Jesus is not about to respond as a victim. He's not about to say, why am I going through this? Why would you do this to me? I don't, I, like, there's just confusion, unknown. He's not doing any of that. And the best way I can explain it is I heard, not on this story, but Bill Johnson once say that there are seasons, different seasons where God calls us to do different things. There are some seasons where God calls us to rest, and in those seasons, he's teaching us our identity. There are other seasons where God calls us to contend, and in those seasons, he's teaching us our authority. So there are times where God will actually lead you into places where you're like, why is this happening? And God's like saying, I want you to learn the authority you have by the Spirit and by my word, and that you're actually going to be able to fight this in my grace. Exodus 13, when the Israelites were coming out of the wilderness... Right away, God said, I'm going to put you on a detour. It's going to take a lot longer. It's going to be longer than you thought. And you might get frustrated by that, but just trust me. And his reasoning was, if you go along the, the shore, which is a shorter path, he says, you're going to face the Philistines. And he says, and your hearts are going to be hit with fear, and you're going to go back to Egypt. Meaning, if he allows you to go through something, he's fully convinced then that you're ready to go through that. So if you're facing something, God says, I know that you're able to do this because I'm with you. He'll protect you if you're not walking through something, Right? The, the, we've got a lot of chicken lovers in here, and, and <laughs> real chickens. We've got chickens. People got chickens everywhere. It's the year of chickens. It used to be avocados. Now everyone's got chickens. But a chicken, listen, if you, this is true, though. If a chicken, if you crack the egg of a chicken and don't let it fight its way out, it could actually be really dangerous for it. There's a part where the chicken, it's fighting through the cracking of the egg is actually what brings circulation to its legs and helps it to have a healthy start to its life. So there are, some, there are just some things that you cannot receive unless you fight. There are just some things God says, I'm going to let you go through this by the wilderness, but no, you're not alone. I'm with you, and I've equipped you with everything you need. And if you do it, I, is it like, I promise you there's going to be victory. And you're going to leave on the other side. Jesus left empowered by the Spirit. He doesn't send you in there to humiliate you. He's, it's not a punishment. 
This is God saying, I'm a good father, and I'm, gonna, it's, I'm taking off the training wheels, if you will. I know it's a little scary, and I know you may stumble along the way, but I promise you, in the end, you're going to be riding with your face in the wind saying, thank you, Daddy, for doing that. And you didn't leave me on the training wheels. And I really feel the Lord on that. <laughs> so, um, okay, I got to focus. <laughs> so Satan, Satan, uh, Satan comes as an accuser in this season of the wilderness. He's an accuser. Listen, I just want you to know, he's an accuser. Put whatever your name. He's deceiver. He's father of lies. Because I want you to know how he fights. This is why we need to know the truth. He fights with a voice. He's the, he's the accuser. Revelation 12, he accuses the brethren day and night. And so the accuser, the father of lies, his primary thing is to skew your perspective, to start getting you to doubt God's goodness, to doubt who you are to the Lord, to doubt God's heart towards you. Because once that happens, again, feeling will, all that stuff starts getting put out of whack. And what he doesn't want is he doesn't want you in this word because this word predicts his judgment. This word declares that he's been defeated. This word declares that Jesus has already, already put a fatal blow to him and it's only a matter of time before the fullness of that comes. This word tells us that we are now in victory, operating from victory in the power of God's kingdom, removing the kingdom of darkness from this earth. And so like there's a real heavy fear when you start getting into this word because you start operating as a true born again believer. And so he comes and I'm not gonna read all of this. I know a lot of you know the story, but he tempts Jesus in three ways. And when Jesus responds, this is important. Like look at verse four, when he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus's response is what? It is written. He, he does not say, do you know who I am? I'm the son of God. He doesn't start rattling off all the statements of his identity. What he does is he gets in the word, right? Jesus's life is deeply anchored in, this li- in the written scriptures. The living word found a security from living um, a life that's rooted in, in the written word. And so three times Jesus says, it is written. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8 and a few other passages over there. And what really hit me, though, is look at the third time. Go to verse 10, 11-ish. Verse 10, it says, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. Ready? And he says, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then look at verse 11. Like, this just popped off the page in a new way. What happened after he quoted the word three times? It said, then the devil left him. The sword of God's word began to strike the devil. Never before had the devil come upon a person that filled with the spirit like this who was so anchored in the word. Never before he had encountered someone like this. Jesus begins to say three times, it is written. And what happens? The devil flees, and look at the next thing. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Guys, do you, do you know why when we're in the word, do you ever like have the heaviness and you just like, man, I, I yield to God's call to come away in the word and you read it and all of a sudden it's like something breaks? Do you know what's happening? When you speak the word, this is what's happening. Satan and his kingdom of darkness begins to retract. God and his kingdom begins to draw near to you. Satan is removed. Angels begin to come and minister to you. This is why it's so powerful when we quote the word. It, this week, uh, it really, um, it stirred my heart. I don't know if I shared this with Crystal, but the idea of like, it is written, I felt such a faith, not like this weird speak whatever, but to speak the word over my life. And um, it was a few nights ago, actually, I was supposed to have a call with Rob and it got pushed back because Caden um, kind of went to sleep, but then woke up 
uh, he didn't almost fall asleep. It's kind of like a vision he was having, and he just saw some really dark stuff, and he got filled with fear. And, and I was go, about to go lay hands on him, and the Lord's been taking me through this, this whole chapter, and I feel like the Lord say, declare it is written, and then speak the word over him. And when I did it, like, I got emotional because I felt the power of God. And then I went and prayed, and it was like, that was it. <laughs> went to bed. Like, do we believe that when, when we speak this word and we do that, this is what shifts in the spirit realm. The spirit realm is more real than what we're living in right now. It existed before this earth. Paul says that's really where the battle is. And so we can get frustrated because it's like we're not fighting with the right weapons. And the Lord says right here, if you declare this, it is written and declare his word. Satan flees and God and his armies begin to draw near. Listen, whether you know it or not, feel it or not, it doesn't matter. This is what's happening in the spirit. When you begin to stand on God's word, it is a sword. You don't need to turn here, Psalm 103.20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. So it's speaking to the angels. Look what it says. You mighty ones who do his word. The angels do his word, obeying the voice of his word. What are angels' job? What do they do? They obey the voice or the word of God. So when you start declaring the word of God, you're driving back the kingdom of darkness and angels, literally God's armies begin to draw near. Revelation, another part, Revelation 19, one of the famous texts where Jesus comes back as triumphant king. He's coming back on the white horse, heavens are ripped open, but verse 13 says, and his name is the word of God, Revelation 19, 13, and his name is the word of God, and the very next verse says, and the, the uh, armies of heaven follow behind him. So the armies of heaven follow behind the word of God. This is what happens. This is real, guys. This is where the real battle is. It's not, it's not just, man, that sounds good. No, this is how we fight with weapons like this. Armies of heaven are released when we stand on his word. So we have to be in this and have our minds renewed to that. So listen, when you start declaring his word, his promises, when you even start declaring your prophetic history with him, because Paul told Timothy, this is how you're going to fight the war. You wage warfare with the prophecy spoken over your life. He's not saying, uh, Timothy, just start coming up with any words. He said, Timothy, God spoke a word to you. You hold that and you fight. When you're in the gap of fulfillment, you have a weapon to fight with. And he says, it's the prophecy that God spoke. So whether it's a personal prophetic history with him, whether it's the written word, you speak the word and that's a sword to the kingdom of darkness. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, right in the beginning, there was darkness. It said it was void. There was no form. You know what it says, though? It says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So just, like, picture that. Picture it's formless, void, darkness, and the Spirit of God. Like, God, just, I just, I almost want to, just like, probably not a great, because he's not a force, but, but he's a person, but it's just in power, just waiting, right? Verse 3, the Lord says, and God said, God spoke, let there be light. Light comes. In other words, the principle is the Spirit of God was waiting in power to be released, at the sound of someone who would speak the word who's in covenant with the Father. He's waiting in power to be released. Like, that's the faith that we have when we get into the word. You follow me? All right, last three things, and we'll close it here. If you want, you can turn there, Jeremiah 23, 29. It's a quick verse, but actually it gives us two of the next characteristics of the word of God. We'll hit these real quick. Jeremiah 23, 29. So the word tears down strongholds. This is how it sets us free. 
tears down strongholds. One way is that it's a sword. Another way is that it's fire. It's fire. Look what it says. He says, is not my word like a fire, says the Lord. Now, we could have gone to a lot of different places. Last week, we talked about Road to Emmaus, how their hearts burn. This is the result of us being consistently in the word, is that our hearts begin to burn, which means uh, there's so many things that you just keep thinking about these truths, and you'll get new revelation, but the fire, God's word like a fire, means I think it reveals one of, one of the aspects is God's zeal and longing to consume everything that hinders us from receiving his love. Because there's a lot of stuff that gets in the way. Like, again, mindsets, all that stuff. It's one of the ways it breaks strongholds is it consumes it. When a fire hits a house, I mean, there's like nothing that's left. So we've got all these walls. There's religion and just performance and, and whatever it may be. And God's fiery, like, love that hits us through his word. It's like a fire begins to burn that thing up. And it, and it begins to expose us and get us vulnerable and to get our hearts sensitive again to the Lord, get our hearts passionate. The fact that the word's like a fire means it burns, it's, it's, um, it gives us zeal. If you get close to a fire, I was thinking about, we had this on a Christmas night, we had a massive fire. Uh, you can get so close that you've got to step away. You're like, all right, it's, it's, it's just too, it burning too bright, right? Well, Jeremiah in chapter 20, verse 9, he talks about what happens when you start sitting and getting the word in you. He says, the word of God is like a fire in my bones and I cannot contain it. He says, I am weak from trying to hold it in. And in other words, when you start sitting on the word, you're like, how come I don't share the gospel enough? You start sitting on the word, the revelation of that word starts hitting the heart. You can't contain it anymore. It has to come out because there's such a fire that's hitting your heart. All right, the next thing in that same verse the word of God is a sword, it's a fire, the word of God is a hammer. Oh, I love this one. <laughs> Again, I could have done messages on each of these. Same verse, he basically says, is not my word, not just like a fire, but like a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. His word is like a hammer that breaks rocks. The first thing that I think about is the weightiness of God's word. The weightiness of God's word. Meaning, you could have things built up using skyscrapers, we said, over your whole life. And in a moment before the word of God, his word is so much weightier than what you've built, it can crush it in a moment. Zechariah 1.6, it says that the word of the Lord overtook Israel, overtook Israel when they were in their rebellion. Meaning they were in rebellion, but the word of the Lord was released and the word is so weighty, it started to break through their rebellion. It's like, it's almost as if they couldn't even stop it because it was so powerful. So when you feel, again, all the stuff is, if there's things out of alignment or just even going deeper with the Lord, you get in the word, know that the word is also like a hammer. It begins to break things up and it overtakes you. It's like you almost, you can't even stop what it begins to do. Um, Ezekiel 36, 26, the Lord prophesied that he would give us a heart of flesh for a heart of stone. So even as believers, our heart can get pretty stony again. Been there many times. It gets cold, calloused, stubborn, you name whatever word you want, it gets in that place. You're like, well, what do I do to get out of it? The word is like a hammer. It begins to break that up and get us soft and tender to the things of God again. The word is like a hammer, I think, also because God desires that we would be fruitful. And one of the things it tells us in the parable of the sower, I don't know if you know that, the seed went out, the word of God, it hit four soils. One of them was a rocky path. And the rocky path is when the word of God, like a seed, hits a rocky path. It has nowhere to go down deep. So it sprouts up really fast, but then when it says when the sun comes out, it gets scorched. 
And Jesus goes on to say, this is what it is. It's someone who doesn't have roots when there's a rocky soil. They rejoice for a while, but then when basically the pressure of life comes because the word they received, they back out. And I believe the Lord wants us to be, I know he does, he wants us to be uh, long-lasting, like enduring. And in order for that, rocky soil has to be broken up. It's the hammer of God's word. And the last thing is water. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll close out here. Maybe, Brittany, if you don't mind, come on the keys if that's okay. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27. So the word of the Lord breaks strongholds because it's a sword, it's, a, it's fire, it's a hammer, and then it's water. And what do we know about water? Water is clean and pure. It's clean and pure. Psalm 12, 6 says the word of the Lord is pure. So when you get into the word, I know I can attest this, not only does it begin to clear your conscience, which we'll mention in a moment, but the word it also, you feel clean. Like sometimes I can, again, engage in things, fights with family, spouse. You can almost feel like there's just, an, it's just like dirty. <laughs> I don't have to explain it. And you get in the word and it's, it's not, it's God through the word beginning to wash us by his word. And there's, there's this cleanness that comes from that cleanliness. But look at this, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. This is the famous passage of the church being equated to, the, uh, to a bride. And it says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So he loves us as a bridegroom loves a wife, and he washes us by the word. So that, why does he do this? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So God washes us with his word, meaning when we see his love for us, he washes us with the declarations of how he feels towards us. He washes us by reminding us of who we are. And when that begins to happen, this is how we begin the path of holiness. You can try, again, to do, go as hard as you can with your own will. But the way that I, I have found in my life, where I begin to walk in, in a different type of holiness and live out what Christ has made me, is when I begin to be reaffirmed of how he sees me and who I am to him, even in my weakness and my mess. And so he begins to wash us. Because what happens is, is through life, we do things that we know is just, it's not in alignment with God. And this, this begins to touch our conscience. And all of a sudden, our conscience, we, we feel like we can't come before God because of shame. And so the word of God begins to wash our conscience so that we have confidence to come before the Lord. And it's as we come before the Lord where he keeps changing us and he keeps changing us and he keeps changing us. So I want to, uh, I'm going to leave it there. I just want to spend like the last just few minutes here. I just want to pray over us and those of you who are watching online. So wherever you are, again, wherever you're watching and in here, just to still ourselves before the Lord for a moment. I'll just share a few things, whatever the Lord brings to attention as we close. But again, I just, I just pray, Lord, I, I release a confidence to know that you desire for us to walk in freedom, 
I come against lies that you enjoy seeing people bound, that somehow you get pleasure out of seeing them not walking what you have for them. I just come against that, that, that lie, Lord. And I pray that we know that's not your voice. It is a real voice, but it's not your voice. You've come to bring freedom. Lord, I just pray, whether it's right now or this week when we get in the word, I pray, God, that you would reveal strongholds. God, reveal thought patterns that are producing what we feel and that are producing how we're living. I pray you would reveal those unhealthy thought patterns. And I just pray by your grace that this week, this week, those strongholds would be completely demolished in Jesus' name. Completely demolished in Jesus' name. I pray a grace for minds to be renewed in Jesus' name. I pray for sonship to be released in our body. Everyone that's listening. Lord, I pray that this week there would be a grace that when we get in the word, I pray that the sword of your word would be released in Jesus' name. I pray the fire of your word would be released in Jesus' name. I pray the hammer of your word would be released in Jesus' name. I pray the water of your word would be released in Jesus' name. That who the sun sets free would be free indeed. Free indeed. Free indeed. You've called us to be free, Lord. I pray for those that find themselves in a season of contending. I thank you that you are such a good father. You know the right time to take the training wheels off. And I just pray, God, that our hearts wouldn't get bitter towards you. We wouldn't attack you, Lord. But even in the midst of confusion, Lord, we'd walk in everything you've made available. And I pray, God, for those that identify with that wilderness, Lord, I just pray. I pray their eyes would be open to what, what is going to be produced from this season. Teach us how to fight, Holy Spirit. Teach us how to fight with your word. Open our eyes to know that the battle is not with, with carnal weapons. To know the power of it is written. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, next week we're going to be online for all that we're doing in terms of uh, during the week, uh, Bible study, prayer. Uh, but the goal is that we be back in person for next Sunday, all right? So I just encourage you, if you're home right now and you really feel like God's still speaking things right now and revealing things, if you have someone in your house, have them lay hands on you, have them pray. I really believe like strongholds to break and that this would be a, a fresh start for you um, and just your mindset and your thinking. Like 2021 would be a, a year of just our minds being renewed and that faith, freedom, life would abound because our minds are operating according to God's voice. All right, so God bless you guys. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you guys next week.